you will, please take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Just want to say um, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. Um, my prayer is that the Lord will continue to bless you in your role as husband and father. And that the Lord, um, that you might certainly thank the women in your life. Um, for making uh, it possible for you to be a father. Uh, it's one way, and, and also in supporting you in that role as well. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Now, we've been talking quite a bit about how um, this passage is not so much a checklist of how you and I should think, but a reminder of how you and I were designed to think, um, how you and I were created to think. You know, one of the great tragedies of the time that we live in is that there is a lot of confusion regarding who man is and what we were designed to do and to be. Um, there's great confusion over that, and that's because we've removed um, the God as our ultimate purpose and our ultimate joy from society, and therefore people have to figure it out on their own. But one of the uh, glorious aspects of the gospel is that the gospel gives you a definitive uh, reality or provides a definitive reality of what you and I should be. So as we look at this list, I want you to look at this list and be reminded of how this is how you and I are supposed to think and act and live uh, in light of all of these things. And that's what we're going to be looking at um, that's what we've been looking at, and this is the second to the last uh, sermon uh, on this. And last, next week will be the last one, and then we'll move to our Jonah series as we look at someone who is supposed to be spiritually mature but manifests spiritual immaturity, and, of course, how God um, brings him back. All right, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Hear now the word of the living God. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything praise, worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, as we think about today and think about a day set aside to honor fathers. Ultimately, it's a day where we set aside to remember you and your role as fathers toward all of us. Thank you for being the good and gracious and loving father that we pattern our lives after. Holy Spirit, come now. This is your people. and They need instruction from your word. You know the myriad of concerns and challenges of each and every one of the hearts of the people in here. And so my prayer is that you indeed minister to them through the teaching of your word. Bless us all now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.
Last week, we looked at um, the word pure, and one of the things we talked about is that when we think about the word pure, we're thinking about purity in its, all of its senses, what purity in terms of what we do externally, and purity in the sense of the disposition of the heart. And we looked at um, the story of the prodigal son, and we saw how the younger son manifested impurity externally by all the things that he did, and the older son manifested impurity by the disposition of his heart. And how ultimately the father, the good father in that story, was longing to bring both of them into conformity to what is pure and right and holy. Well, today we're going to be looking at two words. um, And they are the words lovely and commendable. Now, I have to tell you, when I uh, first started this, I was, I was concerned because I started, telling, I started uh, looking at the words and thinking, man, these words are incredibly abstract. These are the only times they're used in the entire New Testament. They're compound words in Greek, which make them even more difficult to translate. And I started thinking to myself, how can I present this to be of benefit and use uh, to God's people? And as I continued to reflect on them, I realized the wisdom of Paul in putting these two words in here. And I realized even more why Paul put these words in here. Because these words are incredibly transformative. The words lovely and commendable. They're incredibly transformative. And what I'd like to do for the rest of our time together, our brief time together, is I'd like to talk about these two words. And then I'm going to talk about the power that these words have in our lives, and how they could transform not just ourselves, but our community. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about these words, then I'm going to talk about why these words are so transformative. So here here we go. First of all, let's look at these words. First of all, I want to look at the term lovely. Now, look, the word lovely, when you hear the word lovely, immediately you might think to yourself that Paul is talking about thinking about things that are beautiful, thinking about things that are attractive, thinking about things that are pleasing to the eye. Or if you're in the South, lovely means something nice that happens. Oh, that was lovely, you know? Or if we're talking about a good meal, the good meal was lovely. But that's not what Paul is talking about here when he mentions the word lovely. Paul isn't talking about aesthetic beauty, and he isn't talking about a nice meal or a nice event. In fact, the word lovely here is a combination of two words in Greek that literally means to move towards someone with love. To move towards someone in such a way that you provide love, that you provide care, and you provide hope. That's what the word lovely means. It means an act that's simple and yet beautiful. As I thought about this word, it reminded me of one of the endearing scenes in 9-11. Now, if you lived through 9-11 and you remember the scenes of 9-11, you certainly have in your mind an imagery of 9-11 that sticks out to you. The imagery of 9-11 that stuck out to me was as the towers were burning and people were running away from the devastation, what caught my eye wasn't so much the people running away from all of this devastation, but what caught my eye was the first responders who were running into the building. If you remember that scene, it was one of the most heroic and brave scenes to come out of 9-11. Here are these people running into what, at that time, for many of them, would be their certain death. 
I mean, there's smoke billowing out. They could barely see where they're going, but yet their calling was to run in and save whoever they can save, as many as they can save, as many as they can save. And as you look at that scene, Paul would look at that scene and say, you know what? That was lovely. That was lovely. What we were seeing in that moment was something that was lovely. What we were seeing in that moment was people risking their life in a simple act to save others, to reach out to others, to pull others out of safety. That's what Paul means in this passage when he says, that we should think and act in a way that's lovely. Paul is talking about the simplicity of an act. The simplicity of going and moving toward others with a profound love and care for others. Now, Paul uses this word, and this word is completely countercultural from what the people at Philippi was used to. They lived in a society where lovely, what was beautiful, was all aesthetics right? They adorned themselves in a beautiful way. They built their buildings in a beautiful way. They also had beautiful um, accoutrements around them. And Paul is saying, yes, there's such a thing as aesthetic beauty. And we should, we should long for aesthetic beauty. God has created things beautiful. But Paul is saying here that the most lovely thing in the world is when you and I sacrifice for the sake of others. The most beautiful thing in the world is when we reach out towards others and provide care and concern on their behalf. It doesn't matter how uh, it looks in terms of the external quality of it. What matters is the heart posture behind the event. And by the way, this is the essence of the gospel. In Isaiah 53, as Isaiah is talking about the suffering servant, what does he say about the suffering servant? Here's what Isaiah says about the suffering servant. The one who would give his life on behalf of us, Jesus Christ himself. Here's what he says of him. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire of him. What is he saying about Jesus Christ? What is he saying about the suffering servant? That there was no beauty and no form in him. There was nothing lovely about him. He was beaten and bruised, and even on the cross, there was nothing lovely that we can look upon him. What made Jesus Christ lovely, what made him beautiful, wasn't his external qualities, not at all. In fact, he goes on to tell us what was beautiful about Jesus Christ. He said it this way, yet he bore our griefs griefs, and carried our sorrows. It was the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross, bearing our sorrows, carrying our sorrows, sorry, and bearing our griefs. That's what he said was beautiful. That's what he says was lovely. It wasn't that the cross in and of itself was lovely. It wasn't that Jesus Christ himself was lovely. It was the act of dying on behalf of those that were unable to die for themselves, unable to redeem themselves, unable to lift themselves up out of the miry clay. That is what he said was lovely. And beloved, that's our calling as well as God's people. The loveliness of the gospel isn't seen in how we look externally. The loveliness of the gospel is seen in the way we reach out and help others in simple acts of love 
and of kindness. That is lovely. Now, what about this word commendable? That's another word that Paul has here. What does it mean to do things that are commendable? Well, commendable, again, is two, week, two Greek words that Paul threw together, almost, right? And it has the idea of good word. Good word, almost like a eulogy. But, but it means even more than just saying good words about, uh, about people. Uh, as I looked at all the translators, the English translations, and try to capture what is the meaning of this, I think the Living Bible translation actually has it the best. And here's what the Living uh, Bible translation says. It means to dwell on the fine good things in others. To dwell on the fine and good things in others. It is to observe someone, to look at them, to see them in their struggle and in their pain. And then to go towards them and say good things about them in order to encourage them and build them up. Now, look, this is the opposite. This is the opposite of what the, the, the culture in Philippi would do. The whole purpose of you uh, getting to know the people around you or getting to know someone back in Paul's culture was simply so that you can learn about them so you can manipulate them and take advantage of them. In fact, you can read documents on how um, within the time of Paul, there would be rich landowners. What they would do is they would throw these big parties and they would invite people and, and they would learn about these people and, and them coming into uh, their, their gatherings. And they would say things to demean them, say things to make them feel bad. Why? Why were they doing that? So they can exercise control over them. This is the exact opposite. To say something in a commendable way was to lift people up and to bring them up. That's why you said things that were commendable. Several months ago, um, my daughter started, uh, started uh, on a track and field team, and we, we went to some of the meets. And, and as we were at some of the meets, this is universal, this happened, I, 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 especially the track part. So this was track and field, but this happened especially during the track part. On long races, so the 800, uh, the 1200, I think it was as well, or, or the 400 meters, as these athletes were coming around the bend, and they were tired, and you could see the, the exertion on their face and on their bodies as they ran around um, the track. Right around the probably 200-meter mark, right as they began to crest, what surprised me and what blew me away is that their, uh, their teammates would run up to where they were and immediately started encouraging them. Come on, you can do it. Let's go. You have it in you. And without fail... They immediately, the kick started. They started running faster and running harder. These people who were completely down and out looked like they can't even finish the race because they were given a good word, because they were encouraged. What happened? Immediately, they began to run, run fast. Immediately, they got their second win, and they darted down the line. That's what this word commendable means. It means encouraging one another. It means going towards someone and encouraging them and lifting them up so they could continue on the race. You know what I never saw? I never saw someone yell out, hey, you're in last place. You should probably stop now. Hey, you're looking tired. 
How about you just uh, stop running and go on the sidelines and get a drink of water? You know, I never saw that. Never saw it. Why? Because that's discouraging. And chances are they would have given up and they would have quit the race. And you know what's interesting to me as I saw this atmosphere? I mean, even people who were in last place, there were folks in the, in the stand that would stand up and clap them and encourage them to finish. And I thought to myself in that moment, wow, imagine if the church of God was like that. Imagine if each and every one of us, instead of tearing one another down, instead of talking uh, poorly about uh, one another, instead of looking at the things that are not good or maybe the things that we do poorly or harping on, on all of our deficiencies, what if the church was like this crowd of people who despite the things that are unlovely in us, despite, despite the things that we do poorly, was a place where we encouraged each other. A place where we looked at one another and say, come on, you can do it. Continue in the fight, continue in the battle. Think with me how important encouragement is. Think of how important being commendable is. You know, there are specific times I remember as a Christian where I was, was like this close to giving up, this close from walking away from the faith. And in that time, God placed people in my life to tell me something that was commendable, to call out to me something that was true about me, even though I didn't see it in myself. It's like the story of um, Gideon in Judges chapter 6, right? Gideon is behind the threshing floor, and he's hiding from the Midians, and he's threshing and looking around trying to see if he sees any Midianites. And what happens? An angel of the Lord just showed up and said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And he couldn't believe it. He's like, what, me? Mighty man of valor? And the angel says, yes, you, mighty man of valor. Now, there's some people that look at that text and say, what's happening here? Well, is the angel flattering him? No, the angel was not flattering him. Was the angel saying something about him that's not true? Of course the angel was not saying something about him that's not true. What the angel was doing is commending him, encouraging him, strengthening him. Beloved, each and every one of us in this building today need encouragement. There are times in our lives, there are specific times in our lives, maybe ones that you could remember, I, am, I, I will guarantee ones to come where you are going to stand in need of encouragement. And so God will send someone toward you that will encourage you and build you up. But you know what? You also, as God's people, need to be looking out for people who you can give a commendable word to. Look, as a pastor, I know for a fact that there are people in our church right now that are hurting that are suffering, that are, that are being tossed to and fro. And it's up to us as a body to look for those people, to search them out and offer a word of encouragement. Uh, it's up to us to go to them, right? To be lovely and go to them and offer them a word to spur them on. Look, we just came out of COVID. All of us are tired spiritually. All of us have been tossed to and fro spiritually. 
What do we need in this time as a church? What do we need at this time as a, as a group of people? We don't need someone telling us how bad we are right now. That's not what we need. We know that. What we need is encouragement. What we need is to be told what's true about us, that God has saved us, that we are his, that we ought to continue in the battle, in the fight of the Christian faith. These words are so important for the church because they are what we need right now. We need more acts of people being lovely. We need more acts of people being commendable because that's the call of the gospel. Now, what is the big takeaway here? Here's the big takeaway. The big takeaway is that you and I need to look for ways to encourage one another. We need to. We need to look for ways to move toward one another in love. We need to look for ways to offer a good word towards one another. Isn't this the call of the Bible, even in Hebrews, where we are called to encourage one another while it is still the day? Paul tells us something incredible in Romans 15 and 5, and it's this, that we worship a God who is the God of endurance and encouragement. Do you realize that you serve a God of encouragement? Do you realize the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to encourage you? When your heart condemns you, who do you think comes alongside of you and encourage you? The Holy Spirit. When you are at a time in your life when you are getting ready to give up and to throw in your towel, who comes next to you and encourage you? It's the Holy Spirit. In those times in your life when you are stressed out, when you are depressed, when you are down, who comes alongside of you? The Holy Spirit. And at times, the Holy Spirit uses one another, each one of us, to encourage one another. One New Testament scholar said it like this. One of the most important ministries in the entire life of the church is the ministry of encouragement. You want to know how to mentor someone and disciple someone? I have the answer for you. Encourage them. Encourage them. You want to know how to be a better father? Encourage your family. You want to know how to be a godly mother? Encourage your family. You want to know how to be a better co-worker? Encourage your co-workers. Encouragement. Encouragement. That's what people need. Now, let me say this in closing. Encouragement doesn't simply mean you saying something nice to someone or that you never say hard things. In fact, the Bible tells us faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes in life, you encourage people by letting them know that they are on a path of destruction and they need to come back. That's a necessary part of encouragement, but ultimately, it's calling out the good that we see in one another. You know, I think sometimes we think that encouragement is only for those people who are skilled at it. No one is born a good encourager. I know in the Bible it says Barnabas was the son of consolation, meaning the son of encouragement. And some of us think that was Barnabas' spiritual gift. Encouragement is not a spiritual gift. It's something that is learned. That's why Paul says here in verse number 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Encouragement did not come easy to Paul. Like contentment, as he says later on in this passage, he had to learn it. The same thing is true for encouragement. There are some of us, we're not natural at, at looking at people and calling out the good in them. That, we say to ourselves, well, I'm not good at that. Here's the good news about the gospel. You can learn. 
because that's a calling of the gospel that you come alongside of people and encourage them in their calling. CVBC, what would it look like if each and every one of us take on the ministry of encouragement, where we call out the good in one another, that we run towards one another in a way that's lovely and beautiful. It would be an awesome place to come and worship. It would be a place where all of us grow because all of us are being encouraged to grow. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we certainly thank you that you've called us to the ministry of encouragement. How do we do that? Your word clearly tells us that we ought to run towards people with love, remind them of the gospel, of who they are, but also that we ought to, uh, our orientation towards people should be towards one that's commendable, where we observe one another and call out those things that are good and right and holy. That's all of our calling. Help us to be better at that. Help us, help us to grow in that area. Bless us now, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.